0: if uh, minimum wages go up, or certainly in some states, even industry-specific wages uh, are are going up. And that, uh, again, has almost a de facto uh, increase across the board because if, if the fast food industry is getting impacted and you're going for that same labor pool, you have to be able to, 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 to make that move. Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks.
1: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Paychex Thrive Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Gene Marks. Happy to have you here. Special guest today for lots of conversation is mm-hmm. Michael Trebold. Mike is the Director of Compliance at Paychecks. The reason why I love talking to you, Mike, mm-hmm. and the reason why I like having him on this show is because Mike is the guy walking around with so much information that you need to know running a business about Basically, your employees and your workplace, you know, it is we are in an environment right now where uh, the world is very uh, or the the political environment is very pro worker, um, which is fine. Uh, There's a lot of regulations, a lot of things we need to know as business owners, a lot of these are good things uh, to help us run our businesses. But at the same time, uh, you know, these are requirements that we need to be uh, very much aware of. And Mike is the guy that has this information for us. So, Mike, um, thanks so much for joining
0: It's awesome to be here, Gene.
1: So, let's jump into the many topics that we want to discuss today. Um, First and foremost, and we've got our laptops out. Guys, we're we're taking notes on this as well. We we need to refer. There's a lot of detailed stuff here. Um, Let's talk about compensation to start with, Mike. Um, the, the, The small business employment watch that Paychex publishes, Said that in November, annualized hourly's earnings uh, were about 2.25 percent increase uh, on an annualized basis. So, uh, Paychex is reporting that there's, you know, again, between a two to three percent wage increase uh, that's, you know, annualized. I'm running a business. I'm making my budgets for next year. I'm going to be uh, thinking of what I should be raising my employees. Give me some of your thoughts, Mike, on um, what what should what should salary increases be next year? What would you do if you were running a business?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Gene. And I know, you know, it's something a lot of our clients are really thinking about a lot. A lot of small businesses are. Um, it was one of the real, as everybody knows, things that kind of emerged out of the pandemic that, you know, a lot of businesses had to really look at. Yeah. You know, what do you have to do to keep, to keep talent in the house? Um, you know, one of the things we're hearing a lot about or we're trying to make sure people are aware of it, is be aware of what some of the trending is. And whether it's, you know, the small business watch or, you know, even a lot of the things that we're doing now with clients to provide some, some data on what trending is, what competitors are doing, super important. Right. Um, a, a lot of people, um, especially small businesses, it's challenging because if you're if you're trying to go up against talent with uh, bigger companies, it sometimes it's really difficult. So um, certainly need to be aware what some of that trending is. E- even and again, most most businesses are going to have a range of workers all the way from kind of your entry level folks where minimum wage and minimum wage changes might be relevant, all the way to hey, you know, if you've got people that are in that mid management place, you, you got to be cognizant of what's happening right. um, with the DOL thinking about you know potentially some of their overtime changes and so forth. But a lot of it is, can you, uh, and what we're hearing a lot of clients really think about is, is there a way to offer kind of a complete package, even if you can't offer maybe as high as you want on wages, right. are there things you can do on the benefits uh, side that could be very powerful as well? So uh, a lot of it is make sure you've got the information, um, make sure that you've got uh, some awareness on trending. Um, be as competitive as you can, but are there other things you can weave into that uh, in terms of benefits or just other kind of workplace perks? Uh, we're finding a lot of small businesses really interested in that to make sure that they can be as competitive as possible.
1: Is there, you know, is there a number? You know, I mean, can you even? Uh, the, the answer is, I think, is it depends. You yeah. know, um, because you know, a lot of my clients are saying, like, all right, you know, we we want to give raises next year. We don't even know. I mean, inflation right now is around 3%, uh, but that could go up. Um, I mean, are you – and by the way, there's also – people are still getting bumped up salaries if they switch jobs as well, as opposed to just staying on the same job, you know? Um, is there a number that you, that you target, or is it just – it depends.
0: It, and you hate to say it depends, yeah. but it, it, it really does depend. <laughs> um, we're seeing so many different trends. Um, a lot of times we're seeing even ripple effects. Yeah. So if uh, minimum wages go up, or certainly in some states, even industry-specific wages uh, are, are going up, and that, uh, again, has almost a de facto uh, increase across the board because if if the fast food industry is getting impacted and you're going for that same labor pool, you have to be able to, 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 to make that move. So it is it is dependent. Uh, it, it is based on a lot of factors. Um, that's why even if you're a small business, if you can get access to trending yeah. intelligence out there with is coming easier and easier with some of the AI things that are kind of evolving and even what we're trying to provide to clients here at Paychex, Um, having that information is important because it's not always a a set amount that you have to think about.
1: Fair enough. And again, um, this podcast is not designed to be some kind of promotion tool for paychecks. But I I do want to say to you guys that might be listening or watching this is that, you know, the Small Business Employment Watch really does give trends in wages that are increasing by industries and by region as well. Um, So Mike is talking about going to like specific places to do your research. That is a really good place uh, to consider doing your research. Okay, Let's move on to the next topic, which is minimum wages. Okay. So I've been speaking a lot about this to industry associations. I counted now. I might not have my count completely right, but I counted uh, 22 states. I might be wrong that are increasing their minimum wages in 2024. Um, Alaska, California, big surprise. Uh, you know, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey. Uh, there is a, um, there is obviously that trend towards minimum wage. So first question on minimum wage. Um, the national minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. Yeah. Um, still, approximately half the states are using that national minimum wage as their minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any movement towards an increase in the national minimum wage in 2024?
0: Uh, we've actually seen some uh, movement in some legislation just recently be uh, introduced. A little bit surprisingly by the GOP, mm. um, because I think even even uh, everybody in D.C. recognizes that the, the federal minimum wage is probably too low. Now, will that get traction? Uh, to be determined, because there is a few caveats that came with that piece of regulation, one of which is that they want employers to kind of uh, all move to the uh, E-Verify yeah. um, uh, process, to, to, which is that kind of... Um, uh, federal employment verification tool um, to, you know, guard against uh, all the things they're looking for relative to that. So that was one of the caveats that that the GOP was looking for there. Um, so we're not sure whether, with some of those uh, type of um, uh, aspects, whether that will actually get get legs uh, federally. So I, I think the reality is the likelihood in the short term of a, of a federal minimum wage uh, increase is probably. Uh, somewhat remote, right? Um, we'll we obviously watch it closely, but we don't expect that in the short term.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Even um, under the Trump administration, I think they were pushing like a, an eleven to twelve dollar an hour national minimum wage, but uh, that didn't fly. We on this podcast, um, I interviewed Rand Paul, who, um, you know, I mean, obviously some controversial views, but he is on the Senate Small Business Committee. He's against a national increase in the minimum wage because, you know, his position was, you know, why should my constituents in Kentucky be paying the same minimum wage as somebody else in California? Right. It's fair enough. I mean, there's good arguments, you know, both, you know, both, you know, both sides. Um, but there is a lot of bipartisan support for doing it nationally. It's just, it, you know, your, your take is and what you're saying is you're not seeing anything move, particularly in this election year. I can't imagine Congress doing something that would, create that kind of an atmosphere, right?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, currently, there's there's just uh, a difficult situation now yeah. um, where there's not a lot of uh, collaboration. So, right. so this would not be one of the things that we would see. Things may change, right. but as of now, not really.
1: Meanwhile, a lot of states are moving forward with their own increase in minimum wages. What what states have sort of stuck out to you, or any states you want to mention that for any of our listeners that happen to be there?
0: Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. Twenty two um, okay. states uh, with twenty twenty four increases. Um, a lot of the really big states that you you'd think California, New York, uh, Massachusetts, and so forth. Right. Um. So, uh, it was certainly important to keep an eye on those. Uh, a lot of states have wrinkles. Some of them are going to index it to inflation, so you're going to continually see that change. Uh, some states have uh, industry-specific uh, changes. Some will yeah. have nuances based on how big or small you are or do you offer health insurance or not. So um, that's always one of the things we tell um, all of our clients to keep an eye on, and we're, we, we cascade a, a lot of information around that. Um, be aware of that minimum wage and then be aware of, again, what some of those cascading impacts might be. So if you're gonna, if you do have folks at minimum wage, if that goes up, you're most likely going to have to make adjustments for people that might be earning slightly above that in your, in your organization as well to make sure you don't have that issue of wage compression too.
1: Yeah, I mean, an increase in the minimum wage has this sort of knock-on effect on all wages, doesn't it? Because you know, I mean, it, it goes up to fourteen, fifteen bucks an hour, and you might have somebody that. Is making a few dollars more, they they want a commensurate increase in their compensation, right?
0: That's exactly right. Is that's one of the cause and effects we always tell people to be aware of whenever you have, for whatever reason, the need to to raise wages, you're always gonna have people then up the chain they're gonna want a commensurate increase as well. So Got it. um gotta look at the whole picture.
1: Um, You had mentioned about certain industries and in certain states. Do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about what's going on in California in the fast food uh, industry?
0: Very much so. We've watched it really closely. And and as you know, there's been an awful lot of activity there. Um, There was a a proposed ballot initiative um, to vote on what, you know, that had already been kind of enacted as a very sweeping uh, whole set of changes around the fast food industry, not just a higher minimum wage, but also the establishment of kind of a, uh, almost a, a government agency to oversee the industry from um, wage and hour law and the whole the yeah. whole shebang, really. So it was kind of a, of a compromise measure. They did away with a lot of that infrastructure, but then made an across-the-board uh, increase of $20 an hour um, gradually to the minimum, uh, to the fast food industry, um, which, again, will have some ripple impacts yeah. because we've already had some of the CEOs. Chipotle's CEO was just out last week. Already telling uh, Wall Street analysts, "Hey, we're going to do a commensurate increase in our menu prices right. um, of you know low single digits," um, as well as again, you're seeing a really um, clear cause and effect there, since a lot of employers are effectively going for that same labor pool. So if um, fast food places are raising their 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 minimum wage that much, if you're going to you know try to get talent, you're going to have to do something very similar as well. So, um, really significant, broader impact type yeah. thing that you really need to think
1: about. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like, um, I wrote about this, um, I forget if it was like The Hill, um, a few months ago. You know, So, the the whole, and again, the, the whole concept of what's going on in California is that, you know, they create this group, this outside group that's made up of some political employees, people from the industry and people from labor in that industry, and then they decide on... Safety and guidelines and workplace practices and wages, you know, for that industry. It's sort of like instead of the government just saying, "Oh, we're going to increase the minimum wage across the board," you know, the entire state, um, we're going to break it down on an industry base, Let the industry work it out between labor and management with a few political people in there. And th- it's controversial, right? I mean, so a lot of people, are, how are these people getting on this board? Uh, how are, you know how um, you know is this too slanted one way, you know, for labor as opposed to the businesses themselves? The bit like you mentioned Chipotle, they're yelling and screaming because it's you know it's Going to raise prices around, but it it actually could be a model for other states to follow, um, for them to try and you know, you know hand over some of that responsibility to the industry to figure out what wages and practices are. So I guess my question is to you: is that have you seen do do you have you seen this moving into any other? parts of the country? Can you can you see any other states, or have you heard of any other states sort of replicating or thinking about replicating what California is doing in the fast food industry?
0: We've heard lots of buzz in what I would call the bluer states yep. to replicate that type of thing, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Right. It is, is, um, and a lot of it is, and you mentioned this as well before, um, there's a lot of people saying industries are very different, yep. and even even regions within um, New York State's a great example. Uh, upstate New York, Rochester, where we're based. Very, very different than New York City. Than New York City. Yes. Um, and in New York, they recognize that a little bit by having a geographically tiered minimum wage, as, as you know. Um, we've absolutely heard um, other blue states um, um, kicking around those ideas conceptually about are there things, whether it's industry-based, kind of a more micro-geography-based type thing to do that. Haven't seen a ton of, of really specific movement right. that. But what we're absolutely it, seeing as a trend is some of the more influential – Blue states, and we always we always kind of joke in in compliance central that it's always a battle between California and New York yes. as to who's going to be, be the, the trendsetter. <laughs> but um, absolutely, uh, California in particular, and there's yeah. certainly other things, we're watching where they they almost take it upon themselves. We're seeing the same thing with artificial intelligence. They they have said very clearly we want to be the trendsetter in regulation for even even at the federal you know and set the tone even for the federal government. So. Um, we 're watching that very closely because a lot of the things that a California will do or New York will do will uh, over time absolutely get adopted e- even to some to a partial degree by some of the other states, usually the bluer states um, but you definitely see that trend so i 'm
1: um, you know, glad you said that I mean that was sort of my conclusion from that as well you 're just you 're validating that um, it 's being considered, and people are watching it closely, but nothing substantive yet. But, you know, the takeaway for me there is that if you're a business that, and you're operating in a, in a blue state, whatever, you know, Illinois, New York, California, those states like that, um, those legislatures are watching what's going on in California too. And, um, this type of thing for the fast food industry could be something that catches on in your industry, in your state as well, and, and could impact your business. So that's really good. So, okay. So. Let's take a pause here before we move on to other topics. We've been talking about compensation, okay, minimum wage and overall compensation. Mike, give me like two or three takeaways. What should I, as a business owner, be considering about my how I'm paying my people in 2024?
0: Well, well, one thing clearly is, um, and, and I, again, I speak to a lot of small business groups. Is is be aware of it and, and, and budget for it. It's a real expense, and the war for talent might might have reduced a little bit, but it's still very real. So so be aware of it and and kind of come to grips with the fact you're probably going to have to make some adjustments there. Um, Try to get information, and we've mentioned a couple ways you can do that, but the more you can get around trending, what kind of the competitive market is, that much more important, and then uh, do the arithmetic, especially when you're looking at people that might be on the cusp of what might be impacted by a a DOL. um, Yep. Uh, overtime move things like that and then again look at the whole package because a lot of small businesses have found um that even if they're not exactly where they would want to be uh, ideally from a wage standpoint if you have a really compelling um uh, kind of companion benefits program um really look at that as well because a lot of times you can do that at a more cost effective than just pure salary but still um Especially if you message it the right way, and it's right. the type of things that really resonate with folks, uh, you can really get a lot of competitive value from that as well.
1: Great advice, and yeah, you know, I also have to add as well that the um, it, it, uh, when people talk about compensation, your employees, and, and I hear from a lot of my clients all the time arguing that like I can't afford to pay what a big company pays, or you know what the government pays, or whatever. But uh, you maybe you wouldn't be surprised because you're out there talking to a lot of small customers. But you know, I go to a lot of my clients in the area, in the Philadelphia area. And they're they have got long term loyal employees, and you think to well, why are these people not you know working for a bigger company or for the government? Because it's not always just about compensation, exactly, right? 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 I mean, there's flexibility, there's a chance to make a difference in a small business. You're working with the owner of the company, you know. So to your point, you know, it's not you have to gauge other factors besides just compensation. Totally agree. Okay. Um, mandated sick time. -hmm. This is another trend that has been sweeping the nation. Uh, lots and lots of states and cities. I have a list of them in front of me from, of course, a bunch of places in California, Colorado, Michigan, uh, Oregon, you know, Vermont, New Mexico. I even know there are three states right now, uh, Illinois, Nevada, and Maine that mandate Vacation time, it's not even just sick time. It's that, you know, employees can take any time off for, uh, you know, for, and, and employees, uh, employers have to pay for that. Um, bring us up to date on where these mandated vacation and sick time rules are and where they're going.
0: Yeah, it just uh, it, it's it's and again when I talk to a lot of clients, this is one of those areas that is, is very very difficult. Yeah, especially for small business yep. because there there's both that that aspect of record keeping and having needing to keep it all straight. It's very very complicated a lot of times and a lot of the you know I could do a whole hour on just all the the nuanced rules that state by states have. So that's that plus it's very difficult if you're a small business and you're a landscaper with eight people working yep. for you and two of them want to take you know their their mandated um sick time at, at once yeah. you kind of have to give it to them it's a, it's a real it's a real problem
1: can i i'm going to interrupt you um you, you mentioned about the nuanced rules and you don't have to get that much into the into the weeds but can you can you give me an example like can you give me uh, like one state's rules just generally what what they are i mean normally it's like something like an hour of time off for every forty hours work or something like that?
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of states that yeah. will have exactly that. So you actually have to be able to go through and do the arithmetic. Right. So it is that ratio. Yeah. For every week you get an hour of, yeah. of so you have to have a system or or some way to track all those types of things. And it gets very difficult. And it gets very difficult if you're Fortunate enough to be uh, in several states. If yeah. you're a small business, but in you're in the New York metro area, not at all unusual. You're going to have a, an office in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, all of whom have different rules in this regard. So- and, and
1: on top of that, only because I have some clients that have suffered through this, they are uh, tracking this on a spreadsheet or something. So you've got to track the time that these people are taking off. And then you always have that one or two employees that are like, oh no, I didn't take that time off right. back in February. So you have to have sort of like documentation that they sign off that they did this. So you've got, you know, the support for it. It's a, it's a lot of stuff that a business owner has to do. And it's only getting more, it's, a, it's only sort of growing in, in you know, in, 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 I don't know if popularity is the right word for it, but it's happening all over the country.
0: It's really happening all over the country. And again, this is one of those trends that we saw clearly emerge from the pandemic. Right. It is um, so many people were adversely affected and, and had real difficulty with being in work and out of work and all those types of things. So many states, even states you wouldn't think might go in right. this direction, uh, actually started to mandate much more in the way of, of paid sick and, you know, variations of that. So um, some states are saying now you have to have more time off for bereavement or if you have uh, different types of family scenarios. So this is one where um, there's many ways to go about it. Certainly try to find some type of of. Uh, system or support process that, that can accommodate all those, which is 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 not always easy. A lot of communication, and we tell people, you know, work with your with your employees and try to say, you know, if if any of this is uh, not urgent, are there ways you can schedule a surgery or do something at a different time, so you know half your workforce isn't necessarily out all at the same time. So communication. And again, just making sure you're training people and letting them know what the requirements are to your point, a lot of times people aren't always aware and they'll come back subsequently and what so it's it's a lot of it just communication
1: it's a um it's an issue that I'm seeing more and more from my community and readers and clients around the country because um and, and I want to warn you guys that are listening or, or watching this uh it, it it's potentially a form of wage theft you know like if you're not tracking this information the right way, then you've got some aggressive attorney that comes back to you and says, oh, you're stealing from your employees because you're not giving them uh, the mandated time. That's how serious this is. So um, if, where do I go to learn about that? I mean, I guess you can go to your payroll company, obviously, yep. or yep. labor attorney. Yep. Okay. HR yep. expert.
0: Yeah, almost every state, again, it's certainly a place like Paychex. We sure. have all this copiously out there, labor attorneys. Most states will just have all this. Again, I would say most states, especially with an area like this, um, they're very, to your point, very committed on it. And they take it very seriously. So most states, with very few exceptions, will have very uh, comprehensive and, and pretty easy to understand stuff out in their on their state websites or DOL websites, you can go on and get this type of information. But you're 100% right. They take it very, very seriously, and especially when they go through and do this. um, It is tempting to be a small business and say, sorry, can't do that. A lot of times you have to make it work, and um, you just gotta get through it.
1: All of these things that we're talking about or about to talk about is, these are rules and regulations, whether it's at the state or the federal level, that um, just because we're ignoring them doesn't mean that they don't exist or go away. Our employees have the Internet as well. Mm-hmm. They read, they know, and they can just as easily find out, you know, and what their rights are. And, uh, you know, and, and it's a problem for business owners if they're not, you know, in compliance with these kinds of things.
0: It, it, really, it really is. So.
1: OK. Um, Next topic I want to talk about. Let's move to oh, before I even wait before I even get off of the uh, topic of uh, just going to want to ask about mandated vacations and mandated uh, time off. Julie Sue is now the acting secretary of labor. Okay, so she replaced Marty Walsh, who was there for a couple of years, and then had the very good sense to leave his job to work for <laughs> the NHL. Yes. So uh, kudos to him. Uh, but now she is taking over, and Julie Sue was. Formerly Secretary of Labor, Assistant Secretary of Labor in the state of California.
0: Labor Secretary in California.
1: Labor Secretary of California, right? So we'll continue on with her pro worker. You know, that's you know, she's a very pro worker person. Um, before I move on from the uh, mandated sick time, do, are you? Is is there any? Do you see this at a federal level anytime soon? Soon, do you get any hear any noises or any inferences from the Department of Labor from Julie's office that they also support? mandated time off and would be looking to do something on a national level, or is that not something on the radar? Uh,
0: the, the, uh, Julie Sue has absolutely put sure this she's out a there. Something. It, yeah. she's, a, she's a really big supporter. Again, I think the general recognition is something like this. Again, in the short term, in the current congressional um, environment, would be a really, really difficult situation. So again, we continue to see Um, Given kind of the the gridlock, if that's the right word, at the federal level, states becoming even more and more aggressive and more and more, um, not all states, but a lot of states are really taking that opportunity. Now, if something were to happen um, uh, federally in the next election, that might change things even more so the other way. but. To answer your question, um, more succinctly, no, we don't see that anything definitive happening in that in that space in the short term.
1: I'm actually in agreement with only that I'm um, I'm I'm a federalist. Like I do believe that some of these issues should be dealt with on a, you know, on a local level. I, you know, I like the fact that states make their own choice and the federal government stays out of it. But and if 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 the Department of Labor were ever to you know if she ever had the opportunity to issue regulations about you know mandating you know, uh, you know, time off. Is that, would that need, you know, and again, if you don't know, but uh, you know, would that need congressional approval or is that something that the department of labor could do independently?
0: It's a, it's a really interesting <laughs> uh, point. And, and as you may know, there's actually a Supreme court case that's going to be heard, uh, later this year, or I should, in, in this term where, um, that's the, 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 the sense of a lot of controversy is do the agencies have too much power, power too yep. much latitude Yep to decide things. And that that's exactly the context is, can an agency go out and do something like that or set a very sweeping yeah. um, mandate yeah. that um, at least some would say that's really something of that magnitude really needs to be decided uh, by Congress. It needs to be legislative and it can't just be an agency edict. Now, and that's kind of the age old thing when you see gridlock in Congress and you know the party in power wants to move the ball on things it's uh, kind of the oldest trick in the book to try to move uh, through the agencies. That whole concept, and this will be in the compliance game, a really mm. big deal. How yeah. this plays out yeah. is will agencies' power potentially be reined in a little bit, um, or won't it? So that that will be a very meaningful. And, and uh, to decision. even
1: add to that is uh, uh, Julie Su is still the acting secretary of labor. She has not been confirmed by the Senate. And do you have any thoughts on whether or not she will receive that confirmation? And if she does not, does she have the power as the acting secretary of labor to put forth some of the regulations that we haven't even talked about yet, but uh, regulations that the Department of Labor is, is putting out?
0: All a uh, tremendous question <laughs> that a lot of people are absolutely asking is, is you know, I think...
1: I'm asking you this in advance of your appointment to the Supreme Court so that you can <laughs>
0: oh, if only, start thinking um, about this. Uh, you know, I think, uh, again... Uh, uh, Acting Commissioner Sue is is you know relatively uh, has has a you know very 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 pro employer um, employee employee, employee yep. uh, orientation based on her days in California and, and I think that's made some of the GOP members of Congress a little bit nervous so that's why her her uh, nomination has been um, not moving along very quickly um, so will that eventually come to fruition? Um, to be seen. And then I think that question is a really real one. If somebody is is an acting commissioner, how much latitude and power do they really have to make some of these changes? So, okay. um, all, really good, all really good questions that I'm not sure there's a definitive answer to yet.
1: Okay. All right. Let's turn to the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. They've been very, very busy this year. Mike, tell us what we need to know.
0: They have indeed been very, very busy. Um, and, and some have said and would say that, that President Biden is the most pro-union president of uh, in history. Um, in fact, he um, has, has made a lot of news. He was the first, I believe the first acting president, sitting president to actually appear on a, on a picket line with oh. the UAW oh, um, okay. a couple weeks ago. So, um, and in that vein, um, much more NLRB um, and kind of pro-union orientation you know a lot of the things that had kind of gone away in the Trump administration are really back with with a vengeance uh, much easier to hold um, you know union elections much easier to actually get access to a workplace um, whole things like that that are you know really really um, noticeable so you know we we really try to make sure that clients are aware of even if you know that was not anything you ever considered in the past, you know, the likelihood of, you know, a potential union drive is is very real right now, especially when we see, you know, at a grander scale, you know, some of the really big unions like the UAW get some pretty significant successes there. So, um, a lot of the barriers that were there um, to kind of um, suppress union activity a little bit are are really going away uh, under the current NLRB. So... Um, Even things like, you know, that ability to um, um, hold elections and have have an impact, um, more difficult. One of the things that, you know, was was interesting is another area that's getting a lot of – uh, a lot of scrutiny or a lot of uh, increased enforcement and increased activity at the federal level is OSHA yep and one of the things that was interesting is a uh, recent change that OSHA made was they said you can have a have a third party inspector come in with an OSHA inspector and look at a, at a workplace and you could have that um, third party inspector actually be a union official <laughs> which um, has made a lot of employers uh, anxious because you're um, you're essentially like a union employer. Or a union representative come in hmm. to a non-unionized uh, shop I workplace, right? And have a look around, yeah. and, and talk to employees yeah. and so forth. So that's an example, a little bit more nuanced, but an example of some of the things that um, really weren't uh, out there to begin with. Um, even things like severance packages, you know, tell us um, about
1: yeah, contingent severance is a big is another thing that the NLRB. We,
0: yeah, one of the uh, one of the the changes that kind of the Trump administration made was you, you were able to put some contingencies in. The severance package. He's like, what? Like, hey, you can't um, go out and, and uh,
1: disparage the, the company. company. Yeah, you
0: can't disparage the company <laughs> right. if you accept the severance right. agreement. You can't talk about the details of the severance agreement. Right. Um, really, the the NLRB has now flipped those around, taken away a lot of those uh, a lot of those barriers. So, um, a lot of really significant things um, that um, just the whole focus around the unionization aspect is a. Is a, is a really significant aspect of it as well.
1: And very recently, again, again, National Labor Relations Board, uh, joint employer.
0: Yeah. So joint, tell us about that. Joint employer, really, really big. And, yeah. and again, it's gotten a lot of, especially, you know, we have a lot of partnerships, paychecks with the franchise industry and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, historically, um, if you were a franchise owner, you uh, didn't necessarily have liability for the regulatory compliance, um, employment wage and hour type compliance. By the way, I have
1: to interrupt you. I mean, I know that this this does significantly affect the franchise industry, but for any of you that are listening or watching right now, this also affects a lot of other businesses that are not just franchises, it, correct? It, it absolutely does. Okay. Yeah, just so pay attention. franchise
0: as an example, yeah, okay. but it's really very, yep. very sweeping. So, um, what, again, with the NLRB just changed is really, it made it much, much um more difficult to not be designated as a joint employer, meaning that you know if you have uh, family companies or other companies that you're associated with, you uh, can very much be considered jointly employing those. Meaning, importantly, that you're going to have liability potentially for their right. regulatory compliance items. So, um, franchise it's very relevant, but to your point, very so, very yeah, I of like um
1: support. I mean, if you're if you're a subcontractor of a contractor. <laughs> And I, a perfect example, um, so my business, Mike, we, I have ten employees, and um, we we do a lot of like development work. I outsource development work for my clients okay, mm-hmm. and I use an outsource development firm to do this, and it 's a smaller company, but two of their employees are pretty much dedicated to projects for my company, and i 'm pretty much telling these employees like when they can work, where they can work, what they need to be doing, even though they 're not my employees they 're part of it, whatever um, because of this ruling by the NLRB. You know, I'm exposed as a business of saying that those employees are actually I'm a joint employer of those employees because I have uh, I'm, I'm dictating a lot of their their work rules and that concerns me you know and I think there are a lot of other contractors and subcontractors that have those same issues staffing firms have very same issues you know as well um, tell us what you know what that means you know like what if I'm a business what should I be thinking about so that I'm not a, and 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 tell us as well like what are the penalties here what are the repercussions what does joint employer mean if I'm considered to be a joint employer
0: Yeah it, what what it means is is uh, exactly that so if you know you're hiring and, and we we see it a lot like a lot of a lot of even software development firms yep. will, will say gosh it's hard for us to hire as many as we need so they'll they'll bring in you know, contractors yep. that will work and, and be that but and and you know it's like to say well that you while while you might be working in our, in our office, you're not our employee per se. Right. Well, now you very well may be considered to do that. So that means you have to have the same level of diligence and the same level of rigor over what are those folks doing and all the same rules around um, that everybody's familiar with that we're talking about right here around um, wage an hour. Um, all those, all those employment type benefits, rules,
1: workers' rights, benefits, right? workers' yeah. rights,
0: the whole, the whole series. Yeah. you have to have potentially have the same liability. Um, so they really, again, what, what a lot of these agencies are looking to do is, is take away what a lot of companies have done is say, hey, if I just set people up as contractors, all those regulatory things, even if de facto they're still doing kind of the same thing that everybody else is doing for me. Um, then you're still on the hook for all those types of things. Sure. So employers sure. really need to be aware of that. Um, certainly, make sure that you're if you're if you're making distinctions to insulate yourself from that, you're really enforcing those and being very diligent about making sure that you're aligned in that way. Um, and then if you're hiring them from a staffing firm or something, make sure it's crystal clear who's uh, setting the tone, who's making the rules, all those types of things. It's an area where there really is a lot of exposure, and we're seeing. Um, uh, you have to be extremely crisp and extremely definitive on how you run that, or it's going to be very easy to run a follow
1: that. I was just going to ask you for some takeaways, but you just gave them to me because that's exactly what you need to know, if you're, if, you know to make sure that you're not exposed to these joint employer rules. Okay, so that's the NLRB. Um, let's move on to our friends at the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, Mostly for the main part, dormant during the Trump administration, now uh, fully staffed with President Biden's appointees and uh, quite busy. So tell us what we need to know about the EEOC this year. Yeah,
0: the EEOC, again, when we look at all the agencies and you just hit the nail on the head, it is one of the ones that's become much more active um, was was very um, dormant, probably a good word in the Trump administration <laughs> It is very, very active right now and is really looking at, again, some some um, areas of discrimination in a very in a very active way, whether it's age discrimination or certainly the one that's probably the hottest right now is gender yeah. identity. Um, Uh, discrimination and and we're seeing the EEOC being very aggressive in terms of examinations in terms of of really taking complaints that are coming in and acting on those Um, and they've gotten again some additional resources some additional firepower at the top so um, that whole area of of being diligent and thoughtful around discrimination and making sure you're 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 doing the right things is even more acute right now you know we always tell um, clients um, Be extremely explicit on policies and make very clear to your employees what you can and can't do. Um, Train the heck out of it. Um, Make sure that people know that they are, um, if there is an issue, that they should feel um, at ease or even obligated to report that up the chain. And then train, 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 and, train, and train. That's an area that we we see so you, you almost can't train too much, right? Because a lot of times, if you are diligent and thoughtful around training, and you do have a you know somebody that's a rogue employee do something inappropriate, a lot of times you do get a lot of, of of credit and a lot of goodwill by saying, "Hey, we're trying to do the right thing here. We we can't control everybody every day. We had an aberration here, but um, so document, train." And really continue to reinforce it and make sure that people feel comfortable about uh, raising an issue and communicating it if one does arise.
1: So a couple couple other points on that. So the EEOC recently just um, updated uh, their their rules on, on harassment in the workplace. Um, it was that they're clarifying like the 1965 Civil Rights Act. Um, and there are employees of ours. Uh, maybe they're LGBTQ employees, work from home employees, employees that are pregnant. Um, employees that might want to come to the office um, and express their religious sentiment. Um, can can you talk a little bit about what those new rules are and and you know what the status of those are because I think they become effective in 2024, right?
0: They have become effective, and again, they they've really have expanded the 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 kind of the scope of of what can consider to be harassment. So yeah. um, it, it's um, you really have to be just above reproach uh, on those types of things and. You mentioned even things like, hey, is there um, even a, a, a explicit or implicit discrimination by somebody working from home? Somebody that is taking advantage of one of these paid yeah. leave uh, rules that we're talking about. Yeah. So you just have to be um, and we, we just continue to, to preach to clients, even if you're a small business, you need to really train your leaders and make sure your leaders know um, what the appropriate um Approaches and all these things and anything that, you know, doesn't feel right or does and take take things seriously Um, where we see um, a lot of businesses get get in trouble for is if somebody complains and then they just get lip service or get ignored. Um, You have to really take things seriously. And if something is escalated, see it through, have a process and make sure that you're giving all those types of things um, the attention they deserve. That is
1: such great advice. Um, I mean. People on this podcast have heard me say a thousand times that the average age of the U.S. small business owners fifty five years old, according to the Small Business Administration. And um, so it's a different generations. So if you have an employee saying, like, "Hey, I don't like the way this other employee has been talking to me," or "I feel uncomfortable because of uh, this situation over in our work area," you can't just be blowing it off. I mean, you cannot be saying like, "Oh, you know, go back to your, don't worry about it," or you know, and just ignoring it. Those are the like like you just said, there has to be a process for reporting this stuff, and then addressing it. And your managers need to be trained to to see this. You can report stuff right now, or your employees can report stuff directly to the EEOC now, right? I mean, it doesn't even have to be to you.
0: They sure can. And and again, we're seeing more and more employees do that, go directly to the EEOC, because again, as we said, the the, the EEOC is making it easier and easier to say, come directly to us. And they have more resources. So they are actually diligently looking at a lot of these things. And again, we, we try to emphasize as well, you have to have a process. It doesn't mean that that if you have a frivolous thing come in, then you have to make some kind of inappropriate change. But you need to evidence that you have a thoughtful, a diligent way to really look at these types of things and manage them, as opposed to you said just blowing them off yep. and saying, ah, that's just a young guy blowing off steam or whatever. And and
1: one final thing, the uh this is it's making employers responsible potentially for employees' behavior both in the office and out of the office. You had mentioned about like your remote employees and um because I was reading examples of this like, you know, say somebody is working from home and uh they've got behind them on their bookshelf some book, something that's offensive. To some other employee on the call right and it's a work call um, and that employee reports that so you might think oh that's ridiculous it's just a book on the person's bookshelf but you you know you, you can't ignore that right
0: you cannot ignore it <laughs> and I can tell you uh, the have an experience of things we've heard from clients and situations we're aware of that absolutely happens so you know it's uh, um, that ability to be aware of the changing work environment and all the things that go along with that are, are really, really important. Again, not easy to be a small business person all the time, but again, doing, again, a little bit of investment in training and, and making sure, you know, clarity and, and um, accuracy around the rules and what the requirements are go, goes a long way.
1: Good. So, um, uh, before we move on, we'll, we'll pause, and I'm gonna ask you for Give me, given that the EEOC has updated their rules um, on harassment, both for your employees, their behavior, both in the office and out of the office, Mike, give me some, give me some takeaways. Like, what, what should I be doing as an employer to make sure I'm in compliance with those rules?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, training is, and we've mentioned it a billion training. times, you know, we yeah, always, um, one of the things we're trying to tell a lot of clients when I go and speak to small businesses, this is really, and year-end's a really difficult time, but it's also a really intuitive time to go and, you know, do what we call Kind of regulatory hygiene right. and say you know what what things do you want to do that given a little bit of investment um can get you a lot of return on investment um so if you do some training and there's lots of off-the-shelf type things we we provide them a lot of other um, places will that will give you that that ability to just make sure you've got that right message and do do a training both for your employees and maybe for your leaders um Yep. different your managers, a lot of the types of things right there. And then look at your policies, be really crisp, really clear. If you've got an employee handbook, make sure you've got It doesn't have to be voluminous, but make sure you've got really definitive, uh, precise language around. This is what we expect. This is the requirement. If you have an issue, report it in this in this defined way. And then make sure you act on those and follow up on those.
1: Perfect. All right. That is great. All right. The Federal Trade Commission is also busy this year. Um, I've done a couple things uh, regarding non-competes and consumer reviews and testimonials. Talk a little bit about what I need to know about the FTC's activities and how they're going to impact my business.
0: Yeah, the FTC is another agency <laughs> that is is uh, has everybody's really, getting in on the game. Has really gotten a lot of notoriety for being very aggressive <clears throat> yes. in, under in the new in the new administration. Um, you mentioned non-competes. That's that's a, a really really hot item that is, is really. Um, and the FTC is is not alone. Um, a lot of states are going this way, but at the federal level, they've kind of set the tone. Now, um, will they be able to kind of see that through? There's some difference of opinion as to whether they are an agency that's really empowered to, to to push on non-competes.
1: Give us just give us a dig down a little bit more. So, when you say non-competes, what is the FTC saying?
0: Yeah, that basically says if I work for Gene, yeah. Then I can't go work for a competitor um, within X number of right. of, of which 10. is a
1: standard thing in most employment agreements. Or if you hire anybody, sometimes people have standalone non compete agreements. Right. So is the FTC saying no more non competes across the board? Is it is it limited to certain types of employees? Do you know are those details available?
0: Yeah, the the and again it's the, they're um, still defining exactly what yep. it's going to look like. But but usually it's going to be. Um, different for, you know, if you've got really senior executive types of folks or people that have uh, access to intellectual property. So if you're, if you're out there developing, you know, a specific software tool or product, a lot of times, you know, you can't take that over to the next highest bidder and do it that way. But really a lot of it's to protect, um, you know, less uh, highly compensated or less senior employees, right. where uh, you know, even in, in some cities, even re- you can't go from restaurant A to restaurant B, right. uh, or it can be that that basic, even accountants or things like that, really doesn't come into play. So, um, it's really seen as um, affecting uh, that ability for people to to progress and take advantage of their their expertise and so forth. So. Um, Watching that really closely, um, you know it's still
1: proposed, it's, correct? That's it's still not proposed. finalized. That right? is not okay.
0: finalized. Right. You know, there's different aspects to that as well. There's right. also non-solicitation, so that means you can't go and either uh, if you do go to another place, you can't take all your coworkers with you necessarily, or you can't take your cl- client book a business. Sure. So there's different aspects of that as well. But the really big one is the is the non-compete items. That's that's really what it means. Um, not quite sure if the FTC's uh, kind of evolving example will get through as planned. But without a doubt, uh, any employer is going to have to be aware of that as a, as a trend, both at the federal level and again in many of the states as well. Yeah, you just
1: mentioned. I mean, some states already have this, like California and New- the, the usual the usual list of usual suspects. Right? Usual suspects. <laughs> California,
0: prominently, yeah. New York is in the midst yeah. of uh, of kind of working through what their proposal is, right. awaiting the governor's uh, signature. Again, we we think that one will be again a little bit of a compromise. The the legislative bill was very sweeping. Okay. Um, we're hearing that you know the governor may soften a little bit to really be focused on, again, executive level or really high, high earning people or people with, you know, that have access to uh, intellectual property and things Got it. like that. But, but Got it. without a doubt. The other interesting thing that, you know, is that the FTC is looking at is uh, some some guidelines around. Uh, you know, online testimonials and things like Consumer that. Reviews, Consumer reviews, like Yelp or reviews. Amazon or whatever, Exactly. Because right? there's a
1: lot of fake ones out there.
0: A lot of fake ones. We just, you know, one of the things that you just came out with is some some unbelievable statistics that, you know, over half or even more of the um, online reviews are fabricated, yeah. either made up by a business or even now generated through through AI. Yeah. So they're really looking at that with that being such a, a, a prominent way now that people are deciding what business are going to patronize um, so that interesting and even a lot of small businesses
1: so are they um, targeting small businesses like is that is that who the FTC's target is like if i'm if say i'm a business and i've got an e-commerce site and there's i don't know there's a bunch of you know fake reviews on my site for my you know the products that i'm selling is that who the FTC is is looking at going after
0: is i wouldn't that- say they're going after small businesses but they're not excluding small businesses I so i'd say you know they're probably primarily going to be looking at those big conglomerates. Yep. Yep. But they've also said, we are aware, that a lot of even you know, local restaurants will yep. go on and fake, yep. uh, post fake uh, reviews right. on their competitor's sites. So they, they basically put the word out there, make sure you're not doing this because we're going we're gonna to include this in our arsenal of things we're going to be looking at.
1: All right. So um, OSHA you had mentioned earlier before about um you know the the DOL getting involved or, or the NLRB actually we we had, were discussing prior about how they can attach a you know a union representative to an OSHA inspection OSHA um joins the list of agencies in the federal government that has also been very Another busy Another one. they've had um i forget what their budget increase was this year but it was in the double digits and uh they're hiring more inspectors and they're expanding the definitions tell us Tell us what we need to know about OSHA so we're running a safe business.
0: Yeah, OSHA again, the just like Occupational
1: you said. Safety and Health Administration. Is that
0: very good? Okay, that's very good. Very good. Uh, okay. Very good acronym there. So yeah, that's exactly it, Gene. It's one of those again, another kind of cascading impact from from the pandemic. A uh, significant increase in funding, significant increase in enforcement activities. Um, like you said, they they've very recently expanded their roles to be more specific and and kind of uh, prescriptive around individual industries. Mm. They just come out with like warehouses. Any any business that is like a warehouse based business is one of the mo- more current areas of focus. Um, so you've got to be on guard for more um, more potential enforcements. They could just show up and come and look at it um, much more reporting. They've expanded kind of the roster of industries that have to give very specific reporting. On safety incidents and injuries at work and all those types of things, so you businesses that didn 't previously have to report some of this stuff very well may may start having to now Ugh. the real um, the real focus based on kind of the weather this past summer is on heat related type things, so you have to be ready, especially if you 're in an area that you know does experience some really tough temperatures by the time next summer rolls around, you can almost expect. Uh, very prescriptive rules on uh, water breaks and temperatures and all those types of things, and then be ready for enforcement. And that's, again, another area where a lot of the, the, the enforcement activities they do are predicated on an employee coming and saying, I have an unhealthy situation at work. So, um,
1: fines have increased as well?
0: Fines have increased as well. Inflation, of inflation, course. Of right? Course so so inflation. <laughs> yeah, so that's an area, again, that... Um, I know we've really uh, helped a lot of businesses because we, we can give some direction there as well. But it's something that businesses, uh, especially businesses in certain industries, you know, those more manual type things, yeah. really going to have to take seriously.
1: Besides talking to your payroll company, um, I, I have been recommending to clients also to talk to their insurance companies as well. Is that good advice? I mean, what, what would you recommend to businesses besides their payroll company for recommendations? Uh,
0: insurance companies are great because yeah. obviously they have a vested interest they as do. well. right. And, and a lot of them have come up with, with really, uh, especially in some of the industries yeah. or some of those geographies that, that are potentially problematic um, have have really been very helpful with coming up with programs and and walkthroughs that they can do well in advance to help you make sure you've got a safe plan. So there's there's lots of help that um, you can do there. It's just one of those things, again, that if you're a small business, not always necessarily the the type of thing you're thinking about when you start every day, but it's, it's an area where a minimal amount of investment, and pre-planning can pay big dividends.
1: Alright, let's move on to the Department of Labor. We've kind of touched a little bit on, on some of those topics, but there's a lot of things that we have not talked on. Um, there, I see that the Department of Labor is working on um, at least three big issues, um, one being uh, worker classifications, that means independent contractors. Uh, I know they're, they, they have a proposed rule for overtime waging the, the cap on overtime. Um, potentially, uh, you said the child labor enforcement as well, something that's out there. So, um, let's jump into this. Okay? Let, let, let's start, first of all, with uh, worker classification. Many of my clients have been concerned about um, changes to the definition of 1099 workers. Um, the, the, the proposed change was actually, I, I think it's over a year old, but th- it hasn't been finalized. Give us a recap on what's going on with 1099 workers um, regarding the Department of Labor, what they want to do.
0: Yeah, it's a really again, it's a, it's a it's a really important question for a lot of our, our clients. We we touched on it a little bit already. So again, there the Trump administration um, again made it easier to classify um, a worker as a 1099 uh, An independent worker, an independent contractor. Right. So basically, you know, there was a, a traditionally a very uh, comprehensive list, uh, you know, that was. Often called um, kind of this um, kind of economic standard list that you know that was really based on uh, a much broader uh, set of of rules. The Trump administration, Dol, uh, really narrowed that down and said it really it's only contingent on a couple on a couple factors. It's really slid slid back to a much broader. You know, you really that bar is really high proposed really high um, to be able to to classify somebody as an independent contractor. So right. um, it's one of the things that um, hasn't come through definitively yet. A lot of pushback in the business uh, community, as you can imagine. Uh, but it's one of those things that you're really going to have to be aware of.
1: Uh, I thought there was like a, um, uh, you know, w- one of the biggest rules of thumb was, um, and the change the Department of Labor made was that whether or not a, um, a an independent contractor was integral to your business. You know, is that, can, can you talk a little bit about that you know yeah, what integral means.
0: Yeah, integral, and, and again, it made it makes sense. Maybe we'll me. Use your, may, we'll use we use use a dozen example. of them. Yeah. So if you uh, if you uh, have an accounting shop, yeah. and and you're going to bring in a uh, an accountant to say, okay, I'm going to bring in another. I need more accounting firepower. Yeah, for it's my tax season starting for my clients. Right. So so I'm going to bring in three three, but I'd like to to consider them to be independent contractors. They're Integral to your business, so your business is accounting. If you're bringing in accountants, it's going to be pretty hard to say that they're not integral to your business. Yeah, and I'm
1: billing them out to my clients, right? So that sounds so, kind so of integral to me, right. right? So
0: that that again gets to that kind of economic standard, and yeah. saying, "Hey, these these folks are really crucial to how I run my business, and they're really just again, same if you're a, of a, if you're a software development firm and you're bringing in programmers. I'm thinking like
1: truckers. I mean, there's like you know trucking firms, and they they have these 1099 people that are delivering. You know, I I think of people that are run training businesses. Like we were talking about the the, the uh, EEOC, you know, getting out training for harassment or whatever. All well, their companies are run training, and then exactly they, right. they have contractors, right? And they're billing them out. It's a lot of people that exactly, are affected.
0: Exactly right. right. So it's different if you're saying, hey, "I'm going to bring in my janitorial staff," right? And they're not obviously they're not accountants, and you'd have a better. Uh, better rule again, but then a lot of it is, you know, how do you do? you How much control do you have over what they come in and do? Even if you're janitorial staff, you're like, well, you got to wear our, uh, adhere to our dress code yeah. and be in these hours. Yeah.
1: Use these, you know, equipment to you, clean our use office. The equipment yeah.
0: we dictate versus, hey, we're just coming in and we're doing our thing. Right. Um, So a lot of it is that a lot of it is, again, makes it's things that would seem to make a lot of common sense. Yeah. But it's it's it is can be very, very uh, beneficial for a business for all the reasons that we've already talked about to uh, classify somebody as an independent contractor. So that's why uh, it it has become more difficult or is is proposed to become much more difficult. That's that's an area that we we absolutely expect will will come to fruition. So uh, our message across the board and um, You know, this is one of those areas that different agencies have slightly nuanced different interpretations, but it's all it's all pretty much the same thing. You've got to be really, really sure and and probably get uh, a professional opinion or get somebody that can really help you make that determination for that. Specific circumstance to make sure that you can really classify somebody as an independent contractor. I've been
1: really avoiding doing
0: that, <laughs> it, it, even though it can be very beneficial. It's it's increasingly it difficult to do.
1: What are the what, What's the exposure? What happens to an employer if uh, if if they're misclassifying an somebody who should be an employee, but you're calling them an independent contractor?
0: Fines, penalties, then even a lot of back. You could have say, hey, um, you know, I this person should have been paid at that rate. So um, there's all the back. Uh, back pay back uh, make somebody whole as well as fines penalties
1: okay so give me three takeaways on worker classifications Mike what should I know going into 2024 is this real or not
0: uh, I'd say it's real because again even though the DOL one is still kind of coming to fruition um, it, it's you're gonna have a really difficult time um, whether it's it's uh, with other agencies doing the same thing all the agencies all the states are coalescing around the same more difficult set of requirements. So um, be really cautious and work with a professional. If you really want to go down that, that path and, and, and classify some of your workers as independent contractors, make sure in your state or at the federal level, you really dig into what those requirements are and make sure you've got a really airtight business case for classifying them in that way.
1: All right. Also, on um, the D- Department of Labor's agenda for 2024 is is raising the amount of wages that we're paying people for overtime. Yeah. Tell us what's going on there.
0: Yeah. It, uh, this is again a really potentially significant one as well. Um, right now, um, the if if you have um, somebody that's is uh, you don't have to pay overtime for someone um, if you're paying them at least currently thirty five thousand dollars in change right and they meet um, either administrative, professional, or technical, and there's definitions of what all those things yeah mean. there's
1: more nuance there's definitely nuances, but basically if they're not if they're you know, they're not uh, they're not managerial, they're not supervising anybody yes, right and if they work more than forty hours a week, you don't have to pay them overtime. you don't have to pay them over right. time right. so
0: so the uh, Biden uh, doL has has uh, proposed a a significant increase. To that th- threshold from thirty five thousand and change to fifty five thousand.
1: By the way, there, it, it is significant, but there was talk of it going up to as high as eighty five thousand at one point, right? And, there,
0: there, really was, yeah, and that yeah. was really rolling some eyes. They, they kind of <laughs> came back a little bit, yeah, but, but still a lot. So that's a, a really significant impact. And um, actually, when President Obama was in, in he, he, um, his administration recommended a similar move, which ended up not going anywhere in the courts, uh, but. Um, even at that time, a lot of businesses went and made adjustments. Right. So basically, if, if you're looking at that, you need to go in and, and kind of do an analysis and say, is it better for me to raise all those folks, um, people that would be in that in that definition, up to that new salary threshold? Or is it better for me to then change our classification and say, okay, you're non-exempt, right. essentially an hourly worker, right. and uh, I can manage that that way and pay you overtime if I have to, but then not if I don't, if I'm not necessary. To but do you that. can't just
1: like monkey around with the titles. You can't just like magic a wand and say like, oh, I'm gonna. You're now non-exempt. You don't have to. You know, we don't have to pay you overtime anymore because we've changed your your role. as, meanwhile the person is still supervising ten other people, Ab- right?
0: Absolutely. You need <laughs> to be very you need to be very diligent about that. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of like a lot of uh, retail places getting difficulty yeah. because they say, "Hey, I'm going to call everybody an assistant manager, and take advantage of this exemption." But then I'm still going to make them do all the the hourly worker type things. So that's where you really run into trouble. So the title needs to match the actual, or or the actual duties need to act match the actual the actual title. Um, the other thing we found a lot that we still hear from a lot of clients is, you know, it's almost a little bit of a psychological, a morale thing. Yeah to say if somebody is currently an exempt employee, to say, okay, now we're switching you to hourly. Yeah, they don't like uh, that. They don't like that, yeah. even if it's, it. uh, even outside the financial aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, I get it. Um, but again, and that's one of the things again, is as you get to year end and you start budgeting for this coming year, um, be aware of that and almost do the arithmetic and find out what what's better, what's better for you, what's better for your employees.
1: Um, I also, I, I know when it comes to these rules, everyone, that um, it just, if, 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 if you're not, this gets back to whole wage theft again, because I'm, I'm writing about this, so it's like it's been high of mine, that the, um, you know, if you're not paying your employees overtime and they are, you know, they, they should be getting overtime, it's another form of wage theft. So Absolutely. that is a big issue. And your employees know this, right? I mean, this is not, uh, this is not news to a lot of employees. Again, they have the internet. So... Um, I don't think you should be sitting around waiting for the Department of Labor to knock on your door or audit you. Uh, they're not gonna do that, but I think it is a very, very real possibility that if your employees are not getting the overtime they're entitled to, they're gonna report you to your state or to the federal department of labor.
0: It's and it's really well said. You know, in the in the current era, it's so visible. It's out there. Yeah. Everybody it's 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 available at the click of a of a button. Yeah. And uh, it's serious. And you, we, I know we're not digging into a lot of the state stuff, but New York just changed its wage theft um, laws to, to to make it a, a criminal offense. So if you're a a business owner and you engage in wage knowingly, purposely.
1: Like, like overtime wages, for you example. Like what you just yep. talked about, yep.
0: you, there could be, you could be going to jail. There's yep. criminal penalties for that. And uh, states are very serious about it.
1: So give me a couple of takeaways for overtime rules
0: yeah this one uh really it's time well spent um, you you got to really look at your uh, and again this is one where there's there's state rules as well so it's very nuanced it's very yes. it's very technical get some help if you if you need talk to a labor attorney you know go to a, a payroll company or somebody that has some knowledge in this regard and again it's very nuanced it's very specific on what your people are actually doing how you have them what their duties are. Um, but then it's almost a little bit of a finance exercise right. is, is if you if you think you're going to need to bump folks up to that amount, then figure out what is the best path to take and, and how you might want to proceed. Do you want to bump everybody's salary up to that degree? Do you want to switch people to non-exempt and, and pay them an hourly basis? Um, oh, there's a lot to it, but you need to, again, not ignore it um, because there could be budgetary considerations and again, some ramifications if you don't comply. Uh, the DOL appear serious on this. Yes. They they actually, um, like any other big reg, they have a public comment period. On this one, they said uh, there's a lot of conjecture they were going to extend because they are getting so many comments in on this. They say we are not extending the public comment period on this, which is a, a sign to us and others that they're serious about it, and they're they're getting ready to proceed. So.
1: And where does it stand right now? It's not officially been released yet, but it, you expect this in 2024.
0: We expect this in 2024. Okay. Where there'll be some some legal action around yes. it potentially, <laughs> uh, strongly potentially, yeah. but this is one that we would recommend you really look at, and at the very least lay out what it would look like for you, even if you don't yet take action until it's final final. But but we think this one's probably going to hit Good. some legs.
1: In our um, in our notes before we spoke, you know, I was writing down notes of the Department of Labor changes, and we've talked about them. But you you actually added in about child labor enforcement for migrants, um, which I that I'm not aware of that one. Can you can you elaborate?
0: Yeah, one of the one of the areas that, um, and this is this is again is an interesting one. There's a little bit of a dichotomy between states and locals. Okay. Um, um, one of the areas again that the DOL has has uh, federal DOL has identified as an enforcement priority is uh, enforcing child labor laws. And again, very recently, they just came out and said, we're going to um, um, even magnify that closer on the migrant communities because a lot of folks that are coming in, um, these migrants that are coming into the country, they're saying...
1: The children get taken advantage of.
0: Children get taken advantage of. And they said, hey, there's 13, 14-year-olds. We're going to get those folks to work right away. Um, So that is, again, we're telling employers, clients, be very diligent around uh child labor laws the flip side of it is because there's in many industries and many geographies a real labor shortage some states have loosened their child labor laws Hmm. so they've said hey um whereas 16 or 17 year olds couldn't work adult work conditions they said in certain conditions we are going to allow people whether it's to work longer hours work nights work in uh, areas like construction or roofing yeah. that could be a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, my so, neighboring
1: state, New Jersey, just did that as well. They lower the age, you know, for for children to work, particularly for summer help. Exactly you know? right.
0: Yeah. So that's one again that we're yeah. saying um, it's complicated. Yeah. But be aware of it, and again, don't do things. Um, don't hire minors. Put start w- putting minors to work unless you're really cognizant of what what the what the requisite requirements are.
1: All right, so, Mike. So we talked about a bunch of different things. Um, that, that, that lap and overlap into taxes, obviously. We haven't talked about my favorite agency of the government, the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Everybody's favorite. So, so the IRS has um, some things happening that are going to impact employers in 2024. Let's talk. I'll give you a few, uh, just a few things to, to note. First of all, the Employee Retention Tax Credit, right? As you and I are recording this, it's suspended. Give us a status of what this is.
0: Yeah. And, and everybody's probably read all about mm-hmm. this and heard all about this right now. Um, federal government's super concerned about fraud and a lot of these stimulus programs. Everybody heard the stories about PPP and some of the other things. So they were getting uh, increasingly anxious with um, ERTC. Um, you know, we had heard uh, or been, actually been in meetings with the IRS commissioner where they were really surprised. Most stimulus programs start out really, uh, with heavy participation, then plummet. This is the opposite. ERTC opposite. Yeah. Um, As it went on and on, uh, more people were going back and retroactively claiming it. Everyone knows the story. There was a lot of um, uh, companies out there that started up and saw an opportunity were out there and really robustly going after it. Uh, It's a really complicated and involved, as you know, as an accountant, um, credit to claim. So. Um, the uh, they were, the IRS is really getting behind because they felt they really had to go in and kick the tires on these. So they said, as everybody knows by now, we're going to suspend it, uh, not end it, but we're going to suspend processing that. So uh, to give us time to catch our breath, really go and look at it and make sure that we've got a good methodology to look at the propriety of a lot of these credits. Right. So um, the important thing that we're telling um, you know our clients because it could be a really valuable. And appropriate um, sure. credit for a lot of businesses is—it's not stopped, it's not eliminated. So there, you could still file. They're just not going to look at them in the in the, in the near term. So, um, but you have to also be really diligent and and thoughtful on are you meeting the criteria because. There's a lot of, and, and we've heard a lot of anecdotal information from it's the IRS. It's a complicated
1: formula in some cases it's as a, to whether or not you meet it. and sometimes subjective.
0: It's a complicated and subjective, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you need to really be thoughtful with it. And they're actually uh, giving businesses the opportunity to go back in and kind of claw those back if if they, uh, upon further uh, analysis, <laughs> believe that they, they shouldn't have claimed it in the first place. Right. So, <laughs> um, you, know, um, you know, there's probably some... Uh, impact on the quality of who you're going through. You know, we, I know I could tell us and a lot of our, you know, big mainstream competitors are very diligent and thoughtful around making sure that people are going through the right steps. Others may be less so. So a lot of it is who are you you aligning with to help you do this? And again, making sure that you are aware of what the criteria are and you're aligning with that. Um, And again, these are still available. You could still do it. Uh, might be an extended horizon for you to actually get that that money at some juncture, but as long as you're following the rules and being uh, being uh, compliant and appropriate around it, there's no reason not not to go in and, and, and look to get those that credit because again, it's set up by Congress. It was specifically set up to help businesses, mostly small businesses, yep. um, for a very legitimate purpose. And um, there's really no reason not to claim it if you meet the criteria. So.
1: The IRS is also going after higher wage or higher paid taxpayers. Tell us what they're doing.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of, (laughs) we've had a lot of really, I wish I was in trouble, but, um, you know, everybody's heard it. The, the tax gap, you know, the, the, the difference between what the IRS should be collecting in taxes, what it's actually owed, what it actually does is, is getting bigger and bigger and, and is, is actually quite daunting now. So a lot of interest in really going and saying, are we looking at getting the money that we're owed? So, um, Everybody has seen the IRS has gotten some incremental funding. Yep. Some of that's still uh, held up in a little bit of a political morass, but but they still do have a lot of money, and they're getting much more savvy around artificial intelligence and using algorithms and things like that to find where they can really focus their attention and time. So um, we're without a doubt, their enforcement, um, both um, attention and efforts and and savvy are going up exponentially, um, and that's. Um, Particularly acute with employment um, employment taxes, an area obviously of great interest to us, um, that they have recognized there um, sometimes as a relatively high degree of noncompliance there as well, hmm. as well as just um, you know individual taxpayers, high earning taxpayers. How do
1: they define like a high earning taxpayer? Is it I thought is it like the four hundred thousand dollar a year? you know, married filing, is it, or is it just this innocuous? It's, it's kind earning? Of,
0: it's kind of higher earning. Yeah. I think they're cautious about, I mean, they, the 400,000 was a little bit of a political slogan. It was, yeah. Um, they're, they're pretty discreet about not saying exactly what right. the, their criteria are or what their, their guidelines are when they go in and do their programming. Um, but it's, you know, certainly without a doubt, um, you know, a lot of uh, affluent folks use pass through type structures. Um, s-corps partnerships um things like that yep. um one of the really interesting things and some of those pass-through structures um you know it's easy to pay, you pay you're getting your profits out through the, the structure themselves but you also in, in some like an s-corp you have to pay yourself a salary so uh, a reasonable market salary so that's one of the things that you know uh, again we're having some clients to come and say what is a reasonable market yeah. salary for an accountant or an architect right. or a, right. a hedge, fund, hedge fund manager and so forth. So there is some intersection with us and those types of things. So without a doubt, um, you know, you'd be somewhat foolhardy for people to to not be aware of the potential for increased enforcement coming coming okay. forward.
1: You also put on your list of concerns with the IRS for business owners in 2024 is the, uh, the R&D credit. Um, I'm curious why that, why you included that. And also is that, we're not talking about the R&D tax deduction because that's that's was affected in 2022 and is still being argued is that the same was that the same issue or this is the issue where
0: um where you used to be able to expense r&d Right off the bat, and take it fully. And so I read, it, read
1: to, it wrong. So it's the R and D tax deduction. It's R and D tax deduction. Right. You could just write off your R and D expense in the year that they were incurred. Exactly right. And now you've got. It's me, the accountant. So right. here we go. Okay, everybody, listen up, because I'm the accountant. He's the accountant. Uh, right. But now, but now uh, you have to capitalize it and then amortize it over the life of whatever the project is or whatever that term might be. Right.
0: That's exactly right. right. So again, uh, we have a fair amount of clients that do, you know, do. Not, obviously not a lot of pizza parlors landscapers right. but right. a lot of cl- a lot of clients are doing research and expending the take uh, incurring those expenses and you used to be able to write them off expense them immediately uh, very uh, beneficial from a tax standpoint yeah. now to your point you have to amortize those fully which can make a a, a material a negative impact on your tax situation so um, a lot of buzz around you know are there ways for um, for that to kind of get changed again through right. the political channels, but just again awareness and uh, making sure that people are doing that prethinking and that planning to make sure that they aren't adversely affected.
1: All right, let's move on to the, uh, from the IRS because nobody likes talking about the IRS, Mike. So it's you know, but but these are important issues that we need to know. It is true. Um, just but before we do, just just a couple of takeaways for any of our business owners when we're talking about issues with the IRS. What should they what should they be aware of that the IRS is doing this year?
0: yeah the irs again they're 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 playing hardball without a doubt so um and they um they have much more firepower at the disposal than they ever did so um again it sounds funny coming from us obviously we think this but comply with the tax rules um make sure if you're going to go in a way that could be a little edgy or could uh use a loophole that's already out there make sure you're talking to tax counsel people that can give you really good advice don't uh don't be overly aggressive that would be our, our take on it uh, certainly make sure you're aware of what opportunities are out there from a credit standpoint whether it's ertc or anything else don't go too far the other way sure. as long as there's things out there that you're legitimately entitled to go out and take them just make sure you're doing it the right way and and again um the more you can align with uh, there's a lot of parties out there and some of the things like ppp and ertc have made it pretty clear there's some folks that are really good stable players and some folks that are, are much less so. Um, it's worth the attention and time. And, you know, even if it costs a little bit more to align with somebody that's a really somebody you could feel good about and have that peace of mind uh, aligning with to help you in this area.
1: OK, as we head into 2024, um, we as business owners are going to be getting uh, communication from the Department of Treasury. We've talked about all the other agencies and departments and here we are with the Department of Treasury uh, is going to be informing us that we need to be disclosing to the government the beneficial owners of our companies. Um, it's under the Corporate Transparency Act. Tell us tell us more.
0: Yeah, this is uh this one that's getting a lot of activity, uh, a lot of buzz in our in our world right now. And yet nobody
1: else knows about it, right? Because yeah, in my yeah. world, none of my clients have heard of this.
0: And it's it's one of those things that um, I'm not sure, and I think they they admit it, uh, the Department of Treasury and FinCEN, more huh. specifically, that's kind of the agency that looks at money laundering and and all that kind of stuff um, would probably admit that they this this has gone a little bit under the radar. But starting um, next year, mm. January 1st of 2024, 20, any new business has to report um, information under beneficial owners, which means that both you, you own a significant part of the company or you have a lot of um, ability to, to manage and impact the activities of that business. Okay. You have to report that information uh, through FinCEN's um, uh, database right. to the Department of Treasury. Um, and the, the rationale behind that is a lot of businesses uh, that might be a little bit nefarious set up under a shell company type things, they want to be very anonymous with who owns the companies. That's very beneficial if you're looking to do tax evasion or money laundering or or things like that. Even in some cities, a lot of apartment houses are set up under these shell companies, so you can avoid some of the the real estate requirements that you have to as a landlord and so forth. So they're trying to address that. Um, So what you have to do is, again, report some of that information. Name, address, some of your social security number, passport information, and so forth. So they know for this entity who the beneficial owners are. If there's changes to that, you need to go ahead and report that as well. Um, The problem is there's just, as Gene said, a a lot of um, lack of clarity or even understanding that this is coming. Yeah. um,
1: But I hear the form is going to be really easy to fill out, right? Like just one or two lines.
0: And uh, (laughs) still, the form and a lot of the supporting information is still as of this taping is is, you know early november is still not out yet so um a lot of growing interest in in how is this going to happen and how is this going to get taken care of the one thing that they did do is extend for again with the january 1st 24 implementation date for new businesses new startups you used to have to do this reporting within 30 days of establishing your company they've made that to 90 days um, but it's still a lot of stuff sure. that you're going to have to do for existing companies. Um, you have till the end of 24 to actually do this reporting. But again, there's, there's a lot of, uh, still confusion around what's required and what has to happen. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of buzz around that we're trying to, um, uh, certainly from our standpoint, make sure there's some recognition and some information out there for businesses so they can, uh, they can get ready for whatever requirements they have.
1: Great. All right, Mike. So, um, Secure 2.0 was passed in December of 2022, so it's a year ago. Um, still, amazingly, the, the lack of awareness of some of these things I, just blows my mind. Um, but enormous impacts on, on businesses and individuals, how they can be saving money for retirement or helping their employees save money for retirement. So, you know, it's been a year. Um, there are some proposed changes to it as well, which I think will benefit smaller businesses. Give us a recap of SecureTuber. Say say you're talking to me. um, I, I don't even know what it is. Um, and why do I care about it? How does it help me in my business? You know, tell me. Tell, tell me why.
0: Yeah, the um, it's a great question, and it's something we spend a lot of time of yep. on here. Lots again, a complex regulatory situation. Again, the genesis. Um, uh, a lot of policymakers are correctly surmising, Americans generally aren't saving enough um, for retirement, building right. enough of a nest egg. Lots of studies have shown that the best way to do that is do it right at work, have it taken out of your pay. Um, it, it it's the proven to be the easiest and most effective way to, to get that, to build up a retirement nest egg. Secure Act 2.0, the whole premise of it was to make it easier and more beneficial generally for businesses to offer retirement plans to their, to their employees. Right. Um, so uh, very sweeping on a lot of different levels, um, you know, very generous tax credits, tax benefits for establishing a plan um, and just a lot of things, uh, auto enrollment, um, a lot of things that are out there, and and there's many, many aspects to the Secure Act 2.0 right. that are being phased in over a, a series of, of years um, that um, are just going to, in in aggregate, really make it much more uh, both more efficient, more streamlined, and much more beneficial for uh, business to offer a retirement plan to their employees.
1: So um, more part-timers can participate in these plans, which is good for retention. Um, I like that the, there's the student loan apart now right i mean if uh you know if 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 you have an employee who's a student and they show evidence that they were paying down their student loans which now obviously restarted again recently um, me as an employer can match their student loan contributions into a 401k that was never allowed before I, i'm curious and again without getting too much into the weeds whatever but there's another part of the 401 of the secure 2.0 that was going to be like a matching program for employers who matched their employees' payments, right? It was like, like very small employers or like less than 50 employees or something. Yes. If they matched uh, 50% up to like $2,000 of that their employees' contribution, the government would give them tax credits. Can you talk anything about that? And again, I don't want to throw a curveball at you, but...
0: No, it's not a curveball at all. Okay. That, that's, again, one of the things that it has been very recently proposed, yeah. kind of an addendum to that, is to even help it further, is for folks that are very, um, again, low earners, yeah. is to have a matching contribution made by the federal government. right? Um, again, will that politically get the legs to be determined? But um, that's something that's getting a lot of attention, again, as a real way, especially... Uh, it's very difficult for people at the lower earning end of the spectrum to really build that substantial nest egg it's a it's a fascinating conversation we've been in a ton of like even think tanky type things because Hmm. they're like hey if the government doesn't do this now they're gonna have to do it later because if you've got a lot of folks that don't um you know go into retirement without adequate funding you're gonna have to somehow bridge the gap for them anyways so if you can do it in a way that Again, it's thoughtful and kind of in line with a broader policy. There's a lot of there's a lot of benefit there. So, really interesting development. We're watching closely.
1: And also, Secure 2.0 made some changes to Roth as well. Um, now, I think we can roll over any of our Roth. Savings to a 520, or sorry, from a 529 to a Roth, Correct. Yep. they were now yep. allowed to do that. And employers can make Roth contributions now, right?
0: Yeah, uh, which never used to be the case. But again, that was attractive because it was one of the, uh, all the, the kind of tax benefits. This is a way to kind of pay for it because with the Roth now, you're paying at the front end as opposed to later on. So um, uh, if you're a high earner, if you're making catch-up contributions and stuff like that, now they're going to be done Roth- um, through a Roth type of MOT and you're going to be paying the taxes at the front end. So again, some significant changes, certainly stuff we've had to do from a programming standpoint, but makes a lot of sense from a policy standpoint.
1: Great. Mike, it's been great speaking with you. Uh, it is always a pleasure. I always learn so much from our conversation. So I just want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time you know, with us. It's been very, very important. Um, I, and I want to wish you the best of luck.
0: Likewise, Gene. Thanks. It's always great to talk to you.
1: Mike Chabot is the Director of Compliance here at Paychex. We have been talking about all sorts of things that are going to be impacting your business regulatory-wise in 2024. Thank you so much for listening and watching. My name is Jean Marks. You have been watching or listening to the Paychex Thrive Podcast. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care.
0: This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2023. All rights reserved.